Boss Podcast. This podcast provides today's sellers with sales tactics that will help them to reach their goals. Your host, Mark McGinnis, brings you diverse guests, high-quality discussion, and valuable insights on every single show. Mark is the author of Tactical Pipeline Growth, as well as an in-demand sales trainer and coach for B2B companies all over the world. If you want to be better at outbound sales, you're definitely in the right place. Now let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. I'm Mark McGinnis. And if you're a salesperson looking to land more meetings or be better at selling, then you're in the absolute right place. Thanks for listening. Today, we're talking to Mark Schenkis. Mark's based in the Netherlands, and he's an expert in buyer behavior. So how do you get to be an expert in professional buyer behavior? Well, he was a procurement professional with Mars Foods for 17 years. So he knows exactly what happens on both sides of these massive transactions of both the sales side and the buyer side. There's a bunch of really interesting things in this podcast that Mark shares with us that we can learn from as sellers trying to sell, obviously, to buyers. And something that really resonated with me, right towards the end of the podcast, we were talking about his time at Mars as a buyer, and he says something that's really interesting. He said that during all of that time, not one seller, while he was with Mars, had asked him what his goals or his objectives were as a buyer. It's such an obvious opportunity to stand out and be seen as a professional. Digging that little bit deeper and treating those professional buyers as a true customer and understanding what it is that they're trying to achieve. Mark also shares some other really cool ideas and tactics about negotiation and what tricks the professional buyers might use on you to get you to lower your price or change your offer. He talks about red chairs, blue chairs, red tables, blue tables. Look, I know it doesn't make sense, but it will when you have a listen. Look, there's some great stuff in there, and he also shares some other ideas about how we can negotiate and set ourselves up for a better negotiation, maintain the contracts that we've got, and make sure that we're not just being put out to a request for proposal in those dreaded RFPs. Great podcast, great episode for people that want to get on the inside of the buyer's mind. But before we jump into this episode, let me give you something for free just for listening. If you want to get access to some sales skills or sales tactics for free, that's 100% A-OK. All you need to do is jump across to my LinkedIn profile. And if we're not already connected, then by all means, let's connect. And you'll see right there on my featured section on my LinkedIn profile, there's always some great things absolutely free for you to grab and put to work straight away. It could be some free training, a video, an infographic, maybe just some downloads, whatever. Feel free to get into those. If you want something more often, then your best bet is to subscribe to my twice a month newsletter where I share the very best sales strategies I've found during that two-week period. I don't spam you. It's just one email, once a fortnight, nothing more. We currently have over a 1,000 sales professionals getting that as of today. So feel free to join both them and me. To gain access to that newsletter, all you need to do is go to markmc.co. So www.markmc.co. Now let's jump into the show with Mark Schenkus. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. Today, we're joined by Mark Schenkius. Mark is from the dark side. He's from the other side. He's from the buying side. Mark, welcome to the Boss Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm very, very pleased to have you on. This is something we haven't done before, and I feel a bit silly because it feels like something we should have done a long time ago. We spend all this time talking to buyers, and here you are. You're an expert on negotiation. 
an expert on managing the procurement process. And I think you said you had 17 years as a procurement officer with Mars, Mars Foods. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So you know a thing about buyers, a thing or two about buyers, I'd imagine. You're an author of a book called The Other Side of Sales, and you teach at Fontys University. And also you have a consultancy business that helps sellers think like buyers. Does that sound right? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So I said uh, 17 years at Mars, so many years in procurement. I've pretty much seen it all in procurement. So uh, strategic, tactical, you name it, all sides of buying. And I, I realized how difficult sellers sometimes think buyers are in dealing with them. So they, they struggle to really deal with buyers. And actually, I thought, oh, that's an interesting perspective. So why don't I help sellers get more successful at dealing with buyers? Because there's quite a complex process going on behind the scenes that most sellers don't, uh, don't know and not aware of. So I think both sides of the transaction are very focused on what they want. And very rarely do we get the opportunity to have a proper look at what's going on on both sides of the conversation. So I'm really interested to, and obviously you now go and talk to salespeople, right? So you're an expert in this in the crossroads of where buyers and sellers cross over. So, you know, we're going to get a sneak peek into that dark side of buying. And specifically, you've got a couple of interesting negotiation tactics to share. So I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, why don't I just jump into that? I know buyers can be difficult, you know, not, not all of them. The easy buyers, that's, that's simple because you know how to deal with them. But I think the challenge you know, is, is when you're dealing with difficult buyers and you're not sure why they are being difficult. And one of the things I always talk about uh, when I explain negotiations is I, I talk about chairs and a table. Imagine that you have a traditional negotiation setup. You know, you're sitting at it on a chair, you're the buyer, the other party is sitting on the chair and you're sitting at a table negotiating. And I use two colors for the chairs. I use, you can either sit on a red chair or a blue chair. And the blue chair is a, it's a very cold negotiation. You know, it's like a one-off, very much price-focused. Uh, you're not really interested in the relationship. Just want the best price and the best deal. You know, when you're you know, buying something on eBay or some kind of platform, you just want to pay the lowest price and the seller wants to get as much money as possible for it. That's blue. Yeah, that's a blue type of negotiation. There's also red. A red chair is where basically, you know, as a seller or as a buyer, you are very interested in the relationship. You know, it's not just about price. It's about long-term partnering. It's about multiple variables. It's very warm. It's open. Your blue is very secretive. In a red negotiation, you're actually much more open. So either and both a buyer and a seller can sit on a blue or a red chair, and depending on the situation. And the color of the table is determined by the color of the chairs. I'm going to ask you a couple of difficult questions now. So, so imagine you know, both buyer and seller are on the blue chair. What do you think the color of the table is, the negotiation table? Blue? Yeah, fantastic. Well done. Absolutely, because both are blue, <laughs> both are just interested in a short-term relationship. So you know, it's a very blue table. This one is slightly easy as well. It gets more complicated, I promise you. So what if both buyer and seller are on a red chair? What do you think the color is? Based on the outcome of the last question, red. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Spot on. So absolutely. When both parties are on a red chair, they're both interested in a long-term partnership, their relationship. And that's where you see, you know, they're negotiating. It's much more warmer, open, transparent, you know, just getting both out of it. Now, the difficult question, and this is also where buyers become difficult for sellers typically, is when one party is on the blue chair and the other party is on the red chair, what do you think the color of the table is then? Red? It's actually blue. Oh. Here's the interesting part. because. If one is blue, it's just looking at the lowest price, and the other one is red, and they're interested in you know, building a relationship, building a partnership, blue chair will be asking, and the red chair will be giving. And that's how it works. 
this is a tricky area because people who are sitting on the red, you need to recognize they're negotiating at a blue table and they're not negotiating at a red table as they hoped they would do. The risk of generalization here, I know, and many buyers won't like me for saying this, but actually buyers are typically blue chair negotiators. Yeah, they're very often, especially the difficult buyers, they're very much focused on the price, getting the lowest price. You know, they don't care too much about relationships or long-term partnerships or long-term deals. They just want to have the best price what they buy. Sellers, or pretty much 99% of the time, sellers are very much red chair negotiators. They do want long-term contracts. It makes sense because it's also linked to their bonus. You know, If you have a customer for 10 years, it's better than having a customer for one year. They are very much red in their behavior. And this is where you know it gets to a bit of a tricky situation because when, when you as a seller are red, your buyer is blue, you're negotiating at a blue table, although you would like it to be red. And that is a problem. And that's where you struggle getting this partnership with buyers because they're just not interested in it. Yeah? They are interested in the lowest price and not, not particularly in a partnership. So that's a bit of a tricky area. And you know when, when buyers, they, when they run RFPs, yeah, so requests for proposals, when they run these kind of exercises, it's when they create the perception of blue. Yeah, it's better. They pretend there's so much competition and they're just focusing on price. And for you as a seller, this is extremely hard to deal with because you don't know who the competitors are. You're very red. You want to build a relationship where buyers are, are just displaying this, this blue kind of behavior by pretending. Doesn't mean there actually is competition, but pretending at least that there is a lot of competition on the market. And that's how they play this game. I think the key question there is, what can you do about it? Because now you know why it's difficult to deal with buyers, but the key question is, what can you do about it? And there's actually two options. Should I ask you what, what options there are? Because <laughs> it's a difficult question. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, like, yeah, no, keep coming. What, what are they? <laughs> so actually, when you are on the red chair as a seller and your buyer is on the blue chair, the table is blue. So either option one is you become blue, table is blue anyway, so you become blue, which is not something that sellers are typically good at. But it's something they can actually control because it's their decision to make. If they become blue, then they're also negotiating in the blue chair, but that becomes a really hard fight just based on price. This is something that most sellers don't like, but actually sometimes need to do actually to, to change things around because they're taking advantage of if they're staying on the red chair and they're negotiating at the blue table and the buyers are, are winning that negotiation. So you can either become blue. And the other option is that you need to turn the buyer red. Yeah, so how can you make them red? Because when the buyer becomes red, you are again negotiating at the red table, which is something you prefer. But this is harder to do because you know making another party red is not something you can influence. It means you need to influence the other party to show them it's better to be red than blue, which is not easy. I think this is where most salespeople would like to go, wouldn't it? If they're faced in this situation, their preference would be to try and turn everybody red in this in- to use this example, I think. Exactly. You're spot on. Because naturally, I've trained a lot of salespeople. They struggle being blue, even though you know it should be part of your toolkit, uh, learning how to negotiate really on a blue chair. But they struggle with that because it feels like they're destroying the relationship, they're destroying the partnership, they're destroying all kinds of long-term agreements. So, so they're naturally not inclined to go into that direction. So yeah, you're right. Their preference is to make the other party red. But how can you make that happen? That's, that's a very tough question, typically, for, for salespeople. How do you make the other party red? Actually, you can't just ask them like, hey, could we be red? That's, that's typically not how it works. So um, <laughs> you need to motivate them. Yeah, you need to motivate buyers to become red. And there's, there's this model. It's called Kaljic matrix. It's, uh, I won't go into too much detail here because it's quite a complex matrix, but it's a matrix that buyers use in terms of how they approach the market. And actually in that matrix, there's one key parameter that influences the decision for a buyer to become either blue or red. And that is based on the number of suppliers that they have access to. 
So imagine you're a buyer and you have 100 suppliers to choose from. Do you care about supplier 93 or supplier 54? Not at all. That's how it works. Because you know, if, if one supplier doesn't play ball, you just move to the next. It's that simple. That's what you do. But when you have one supplier you can source from, the only supplier you can source from, now it's a different story. Now you have to be red because if you're blue and you're scaring off this one supplier, you're stuck. You don't have any options anymore. So you have to be red. So the key question is for a seller, how do you become unique? How do you make yourself unique for this one buyer? Because if you're not unique, trust me, buyer doesn't care about you. Yeah, they'll run RFPs and they'll leverage the market, trying to get the best prices on the market. And you just either play ball or you lose. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how simple it is. But the key question is, how do you become truly unique for a buyer? Isn't that part of the consultative sales process? You know, bringing something to the table that they perhaps don't already understand, maybe bringing something that's, or they can improve some business processes somewhere else inside their supply chain or, or bringing some knowledge or some systems that they might not already be aware of? Is that the sort of thing that you're talking about or is it something deeper than that? Yeah, it, it is, but it's, it's even more deeper than that because buyers are, you know, they're scared of putting all their eggs into one basket. For them, it's a risk. Having one supplier is a risk. So they will never tell you you're unique. Even if you have something unique to sell, they will always look for opportunities. You know, who else could be doing that? You know, and I know they're not comparing apples with apples. They're comparing apples with pears and lemons and what have you. So in essence, they, they will, when they run an RFP, they pretend everyone is an apple and they can compare easily. And you're actually right. You know, as part of the sales process, it's, it's really around how to make yourself truly unique. That's not always best done through a buyer because a buyer will always say you're not unique. Because when a buyer confirms you're unique, they are in trouble and they would lose. Then the power shifts. Exactly. Yeah. The power shifts to you as a supplier. So they will never, ever, ever tell you. Who will tell you is the rest of the organization behind the buyer because they don't have this commercial sensitivity you know, in terms of the organization. They are, the rest of the organization behind the buyer is much more red in their approach. You know, if you talk to finance, to marketing, to sales, to IT, you know, all departments, they want to build a relationship with you as a, uh, as a supplier. You know, IT wants to have connection like EDI connection or connectivity. Finance wants to have a smooth process in terms of invoicing. Marketing wants to have great ideas from you as a supplier that they can use to market. So everybody is in an organization is red except the buyer. They are blue. So the, the key is how do you make yourself unique not just going through the buyer, but using also the rest of the organization in terms of access points. Make yourself you know, uh, indispensable for the organization because then a buyer has to work with you. When they have to work with you, they have to be red. They can't be afford to be blue. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there a, a premium that you know of, having done this for such a long time, that the relationship is worth like a price premium? So you know, if you've got an excellent relationship, you are considered to be somewhat unique. Is that worth 8%, 15%, you know, 30% on your pricing? You know, what's your expectation or your, your experience tell you? Yeah, so my experience is something has never been, you know, if some business has never gone through an RFP process, you know, it's been just business as usual and things, you know, are ongoing. Then typically prices are about 15% higher than what the market is. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah, so once buyers run RFP, yeah, they save about 15%, 1-5% of value basically. Yeah, so by being unique, they don't have an option to go to the markets. So you could probably, you know, get about 15% uh, higher price. Yep. That was what I wrote down. I know this is an audio podcast, but I worked with an organization not too long ago and we said that the value of the relationship was about 15% premium pricing. So that's good to hear. Is your outreach getting you labeled as a spammer? Well, what's worked in B2B outbound doesn't work anymore. The goalposts have moved. 
and so must your approach to sales. Sure, you might land odd conversation or even a reply to an odd cold email, but is it scalable? Will it provide you with enough revenue to hit your yearly goals? Having worked with sales teams all over the world, we see what works and what doesn't. Our new POW coaching program provides sellers with access to the very best training available today. It doesn't matter if you're a team of 50 or a team of one. We have flipped traditional sales training on its head and allow you to learn in your own time and still get the important coaching help that you need. Grab all the details at markmc.com slash POW. Okay, so how do we make ourselves unique? How do we do that, Mark? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's very specific for the industry you work in. So one of the things that I really liked, well, actually, I didn't like it when I was a buyer, but with hindsight now, is on the other side of the table, I actually do like it, is get yourself involved earlier. When there's an RFP process taking place, it's too late. You're too late because then you're already, you know, they're going onto the market and it's going to be a blue exercise, you know, and you're, you're going to lose out. So get yourself involved earlier. Get seats at the table at marketing when they're doing, for example, some design of a new product or service, when they're designing something new. Once you get on board there, it's so much easier to help shape things. And then it becomes much more difficult for a buyer to actually you know, remove you and, and find alternative suppliers for you because you've made yourself unique and indispensable in that process. So often what I see with salespeople is that they are very reactive. You know, there's a tender. Oh, let's participate in the tender. You need to. I know you need to join in a year earlier and get connected to the rest of the organization, not just the buyer. Find entry points there. Yeah, look, I agree with the reactive piece. Even some of my clients who have got like two and three year contracts, supply contracts, you know, they go and speak to their prospects or their current clients a month before the contract's due to put in you. And like, why weren't you talking to them three months ago, four months ago, six months ago? Like, it's so much easier to restore that relationship when that contract is still a long way away. You can get some good information. As soon as people start to go into buying mode, then everything becomes blue. And it's much harder to try and rekindle the relationship three, four weeks out from you know, a new contract signing rather than if you'd have done your homework four months, six months in advance, right? So it's something that we see all the time that's a real bugbear, I think, for a lot of us. Yeah, and I think, I think there's, there are three reasons typically why a buyer would leave you know, a supplier, would move to a new supplier. It could be quality, the service could be price. And quality of service, typically, you know, you've got that organized through your organization because otherwise a buyer would have always had to buy earlier, right? So if you have really fulfilled the three-year contract, then you can assume that service and quality are working you know, to the satisfaction. But then, you know, if you really jump in at that stage and it's just about price, they'll go out to the market and look what, what else is available there. You could indeed, really at the start of the project, just look at you know, how to intensify our, our cooperation. What could we do together you know, in terms of some kind of a continuous improvement program? Just after you won the, the, the business for a three-year contract, start on the continuous improvement program. What it does, it does two things. One, it builds connection, like I'm, I'm here to help you. I'm, I'm here to help you because buyers have objectives to save costs regardless. Yeah? So you're helping them be successful. That's basically what you're saying. But secondly, by going through this cost improvement program, continuous improvement programs, and you're reducing the total costs, I'm not saying you should you know, give away some of your margins. It's really around how to reduce costs in the relationship. As a result, you will be more competitive when the tender comes. You will have already taken out costs in the total package and you will be more competitive during, uh, during these kind of RFP processes. So like you said, don't just wait two, two, three weeks before the contract expires. Start really two, three weeks after contract starts to start working with your buyers on continuous improvement. I think that would really, really help. It builds 
much more powerful relationship than just winning the business, moving on to the next. What other negotiation tactics should we be on the lookout for? Well, I have one of my, uh, when I provide the training to salespeople, I have a booklet called Negotiation Tactics, which is filled with about 35 different tactics. Oh, well, just give us your best two. <laughs> <laughs> well, one I like, well, I, I don't like the historical context, but one I like is the Russian front. I'm not sure you've heard of that one. The origin is actually quite, well, it's not funny. It's actually quite, uh, quite interesting. It was in the Second World War. Germans, German soldiers, they were, they were given two options. They were said, either you go uh, fight at the front in France, or you go fight the front in Russia. And the soldiers were like, okay, I don't like either option. Uh, of course they didn't, but you know, fighting in France, at least it was sunny and warm. They had food. In, in Russia, it was cold. There was like, they had no food. So they all chose to fight in France. They were happy to go to France, even though if you would have asked them, would you like to go and fight for us at, you know, in France, where pretty much certain death will happen? You know? They would probably say, no, I wouldn't. The Russian front tactic is really where you present two options, one of which is so awful that you're actually happy to, to proceed with the other one. And that's what buyers do. You're a difficult buyer. You can hear them say it. They're like, um, so either you reduce your prices by 5% or we're going to go out to the market and send an RFP. What do you like? That, that's a Russian front tactic. And you'll, you'll hear that a lot. They present it as if there's only two scenarios. So the way how to counter it, like offer a third scenario. So there are more scenarios than these two, but that's how they present it. So that's the Russian front style that, that some buyers might actually use. Okay. So... And what you're saying is we should start to think a bit strategically and come back with a third or a fourth option and say, well, hang on a second. This is what you're trying to achieve. Is there another way we could do that? What about if we did this? What about if we talked about payment terms, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually presenting a third option or asking questions. I think questions are very, very effective in these kind of situations. And you could ask like, all right, I, I hear what you're saying. You're looking for a 5% decrease or you, know, you need to go out to the market. Under what circumstances would you be able to continue our business at flat rates. Just ask the question and you might not get an answer you like. Start exploring because with this Russian front, they're presenting it like there's only two options. Now you need to start exploring. You know, what other options are there? And under what circumstances are things possible? And you'll find there's always things possible. Yeah, it's, it's never this black and white with, with buyers. Yeah, I like that because I think most people would just go back to their boss and say, oh, they've asked us to do this or this. Which one should we do? Instead of thinking a bit deeper and digging, digging down to try and find an alternative solution. Good stuff. Do you have another strategy for us other than the Russian front? I'm thinking which one is one that's, that's applied a lot. Yeah, it's probably the, um, the nibble. The nibble is a nice one. It's close to the end of the negotiation where, you know what, you're close to getting to a deal. And at the end, they said, well, we can agree if you just extend payment terms by 30 days, then, then we have a deal, right? It's just this, this, this one thing that is asked at, at the end of the negotiation. And um, I'm not sure whether you actually um, know Columbo. You know this detective series? Have you ever watched that Columbo? It's for your, probably your somewhat older viewers uh, or listeners, actually. So Columbo did this tactic quite well in his, his television shows. And because what, what happened, and this is exactly also the, how, why the nibble works towards the end, is, you know, Columbo towards the end, he knew who did it, yeah? who know who, who killed person A or whatever. So he knew who did it. And then uh, he would walk up to this person and ask a couple of like silly questions, you no, know, like not too difficult question. And then he would like turn around and say, oh, thank you. And then he would turn around and he would walk away. And what happened, the killer, yeah, the, the, the person who did it, it would feel a sense of relief, like it's done now, right? Oh, I'm off the hook now. And then Columbo would turn around and he would say, oh, just one more question. It's just one more thing or just one more question. And, and he, would, he would raise like, well, literally the killer question. Yeah, he would ask something like, yeah. where were you on the... And, and what happens actually, and why does this tactic work? Because people feel relieved 
you know, it's like when you're negotiating, you're all tensed. The killer was tensed, and then he would the detective would walk away and like, oh, I'm off the hook, and you would let your you would let you would let your guard down. And that's what happens as well with the nibble. You know, at the end of the negotiation, you feel like you're ready to shake hands. We've done a deal. You let your guard down, and then the buyer comes in exactly when you've let your guard down, and they will come in asking for just one more thing, and typically be like, yeah, okay, let's not you know waste the entire deal and just, just, just jeopardize the entire deal. You know, just uh, just doing that. Okay, I will accept it. God, I think I've done that myself. Uh, which is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think I've fallen for that one a couple of times now, Mark. Uh, mate, very interesting. So I'm really interested with your time at Mars Foods. What were the, some of the things that you really disliked about salespeople, you know, people that were selling to your organization? You know, were you very receptive or did you have like huddles? You know, how can we get on top of all these salespeople this month? You know, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not that bad. You have to imagine, I think the seller's world and the buyer's world are very different. As a buyer, I was dealing with hundreds of suppliers. As a seller, especially when you have key accounts, it's, it's probably a handful or maybe two hands full of, of, of customers that you deal with. So buyers are not that prepared for their negotiations as you could be as a seller. And because you do so many negotiations that you don't always prepare that well for them. Yeah, so think about it from a buyer's perspective. How many, actually, how many suppliers do they have? Because if everyone needs a bit of their attention, they have a lot to do. One of the things that, I, that surprised me a lot is one question that rarely any sales professional asked me. I'm still surprised about this still today. And that question is, Mark, what are your objectives this year? Okay. They would come in and start selling, right? So they would come in saying, this is my product, this is you know, this company presentation and blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they would come in and just you know, sell or sell themselves, sell their product. But they wouldn't ask the question, what are your objectives? And secondly, I think even more important is to follow up on that question. How can I help you achieve those objectives? Very, very powerful. Because now you're not on the other side of the table. You're actually sitting on the same side of the table as the buyer. And I think sellers could be better at that. You know, just um, uh, uh, asking more questions, learning to understand you know, a buyer's perspective even, uh, even better. Yeah. Okay, that's, a, that's good advice. So when you're at Mars, let's do a little bit of a hypothetical here, right? Like, and I know you probably weren't, in this particular division. But if I was, I was a sales rep of a packaging company, for example, and, and you're buying lots of items and things for Mars Foods, and I come up to you with a, something that I think is really innovative in relation to a, a Mars bar wrapper. Maybe it's more economical, it's cheaper. Or maybe, maybe it disappears into the environment. It's more um, environmentally friendly. Or maybe it goes into your machine faster. You know, So it's easy to put the chocolate bars in. So one of those things, right? Would your business be interested in having a conversation with somebody if they go, look, I think I've got something that's really interesting to share with your business? Or are you guys always like shut out going, no, we're just doing what we've already done, always done and we're not interested in the new conversation? It's a really funny question because actually one of my, I did packaging buying oh. for some time, or at least I was managing a team of, of, of packaging buyers. So and actually the funny the story is it's, it's almost like this is a setup, but it, it isn't because it's, uh, <laughs> it's a completely random question. I was once at a, at a conference, so we organized our packaging conferences, and I was sitting at a table with, I know, probably six suppliers. They were Dutch-German, and Dutch-German people tend to be quite vocal and, and expressive, especially after a couple of pints of beer. And I asked them the question, like I was new to the role, naively asked them the question, like, what do you think we could improve at Mars? <laughs> and the, the tsunami of, of feedback <laughs> I received <laughs> over the course of the next two hours was, was, was immense. He said, oh, you're not innovative enough. 
but they also said, it's not just you, it's any business, it's not innovative enough. And said, to ask them, so what do you mean? They said, well, we have so many ideas, so many innovations, et cetera, et cetera, and that we could implement, you just don't want to hear them. And it made me wonder, like, how, how come you know, we're not interested in innovations? Why are buyers not interested in innovations? And I'm coming back again to something we discussed earlier in this podcast, and it, and, and it started to connect. I'm like, because normally you would say, you know, yes, everyone is interested in innovation. It's new, it's new energy, it's new great ideas and, and moving forward, sustainability, you know, all these kind of great things. For buyers, it, it means risk. And there's, there's alarm bells ringing when you hear the word innovation. And why is that? Because once a supplier has something unique, here we go again, to offer you, it's a risk because you know you'll be priced above the market for it. And you know you, you'll find it hard to find an alternative supplier for it. So buyers don't always see the positive of it. They also see the negative of it. And that's why for, for some sellers, it's really hard to bring innovation to the table, at least to the buyer's table, because the rest of the organization might be interested in it. They typically like yeah, innovation. Yeah, good point. So many organizations are focused and buying organizations are focused on minimizing risk, not only supplier risk, but any risk. You know, so what if that wrapper didn't seal as well and, you know, kids walking down the road, the Mars bar is falling out the end, right? So right now, the status quo with the Mars bar wrapper is fine. If they go and choose to look at my new fancy wrapper, it opens risk. So the benefit, salespeople and sales organizations tend to focus on opportunity. And buyers, I think, focus on minimizing any external risks. Risk. So yeah, there you go. That wasn't a setup. I didn't know you were going to answer it that way. So there <laughs> yeah, no, but you're absolutely right. But I think you're raising a very good point, actually, because you said, you know, sellers, you're looking at opportunity. Hey, this is what it can bring you. But I think as a seller, you need to address the risks associated with it. I know there's risk, you know, that, that it might not run on the line. That's why we have a group of technical experts who are going to help you set it up. We know there might be risk here. That's my da da da. You know, think about the risks that a buyer or an organization might perceive. And then think about what are you going to do to help them mitigate that? Because if you're taking away the risk, they just see the benefits. They don't see the risks anymore, but there will be risks in their heads. So don't just sell the positive. Sell or, or find a solution for the negatives yeah, as well. Fantastic. Mark, I've really enjoyed having you on the Boss Podcast. appreciate your time. How can my listeners get in contact or our listeners get in contact with you? Are you interested in you know, more people connecting with you? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Like, how can we get more, Mark? LinkedIn, for sure. You can find uh, you can easily find my LinkedIn profile because I'm the only one named with that horrible last name. So you'll, you should be able to find that. You can also, uh, uh, you mentioned the book I wrote called The Other Side of Sales, where I share even more secrets how to deal with, uh, with difficult buyers. So I'll, uh, uh, I'll talk about that. And they can visit my website. It's uh, www.roi-10.com. So it's ry10.com and then hyphen between the I and the 10. L- lovely. And in the show notes, I'll put links to your LinkedIn profile, your website, your book. And there we go. So I think that's it. That's it. People can get in contact Perfect. with you. Yeah, plenty of opportunities to reach out to me. So happy Mark, to help. thanks for coming on the Boss Podcast. You've been a great guest. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Mark. How would you like an electronic copy of Tactical Pipeline Growth sent directly to you for free? You see, I need a little help and I'm prepared to swap you for it. All you have to do is leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts as it would really help other listeners to find us and it helps us find more great guests in the future. And of course, the better the guests, the better the sales strategies that we get. 
The good news is it will only take you about 60 seconds to do and you can probably access the review function directly from the device you're using right now to listen to us. I'd really appreciate it. Simply leave us a review and then screenshot that and send it to me either via DM on LinkedIn or directly through my email and I'll send you a copy of the book straight away. So that's it for this show. Catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.